0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people, and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 1 through 8, called How to Seek First His Kingdom and His Righteousness.
1: We all can appreciate the attaboys and we all appreciate, you know, maybe even being honored in the right setting. But if our main goal is only to give to get honor from people, that is the full reward. Jesus says, that's all you're going to get. So you better enjoy it. Now, giving to the needy or to the poor was very important in the nation of Israel. It was actually in the Torah, Deuteronomy fifteen seven through 11, reads this way. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. You shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Beware, Deuteronomy fifteen nine, lest there is a base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease, Deuteronomy 15, 11, to be in the land, Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. One writer says, by the first century, there was a well-organized system of relief for the poor based in the synagogues, providing something of what our modern state-sponsored welfare system aims to offer. The funding for this system in Israel depended on the contributions in the tithe for the poor. When Israel tithed, they gave three separate tithes and one tithe they gave was every three years and it was a tithe for the poor. And if you wanna take tithing literally today, it amounted to 23 and a third percent of one's annual income because it included three separate ties. So in ancient Israel, when you gave this offering for the poor, it was collected in the synagogues. And then if there was a poor person, it was given through, you could call, call it the first century church. Today, much of that is handled through government. And we know how well the government has done with handling stuff like that. The church has a major role in trying to reach out to people in many different respects. And this is a good thing. I want you to see something that Jesus said in Matthew 19. Flip over there with me. Look at verse 21. The famous conversation with the rich young ruler. The the topic is the commandments and how one inherits eternal life. The young man says to Jesus, after they talk a little bit about the law, all these things I've kept, Matthew 19, 20, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, that's the word perfect, that's the word teleios, same word as in Matthew 5, 48. If you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have what? Treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now we know the rich young ruler walked away and did not follow Christ. If you ever wondered how you get treasure in heaven, this is one way. When you give to the poor, You store up treasure in heaven, back to Matthew chapter 6. That's something that Jesus will teach us later in this chapter. If you want to know how you store up treasures in heaven, one way you do it is to give to those who have need in the name of Jesus for the kingdom's sake, if you will. Giving alms or giving to the poor was definitely a part of this uh, society. It was a good thing. But not when it was done just for show. Spurgeon says to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the posture of hypocrisy. That's the wrong way to do things. So, what should we do? Verse 3, Matthew 6. But when you give alms or give your charitable uh, gifts, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, for most people, uh, in the room, we're probably right-handed. And this is like a proverbial statement. Like you, you could go about your day. If you're right-handed and you would do a lot of things with your right hand. Maybe you start your ignition, you open, you know, the lock of the door. You do a lot of things. You write, uh, you're, with your dominant hand, your left hand might be little involved with a lot of things that you do, do during the day. You could say in some ways, unaware, of what's going on with the right hand. All Jesus is saying is this. When you're doing things for the sake of the poor or the kingdom of God, you don't need to keep a track record. Heaven's got that taken care of. God is the ultimate bookkeeper, amen? In Matthew 25, when the king is sitting on the throne and he's talking to the righteous who are gonna enter the kingdom, he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Uh, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous say to him, when did we do this? It's like they don't remember the good things that they've done. Their left hand doesn't remember, if you will. Because their charitable deeds are so much the overflow of their heart of God that we forget a lot of what we've done. I forget what I had for breakfast couple hours ago. Amen. And sometimes I'll have a person come up to me to use a personal example. And they'll say, Pastor Michael, you prayed for me a couple years ago about this situation. And I really felt like the Lord, you know, uh, used that prayer in my life. And, and I sometimes have to apologetically say, what's your name again? And what do we pray for? And I think that's okay because I'm not trying to keep a track record on every single thing. I wish I could remember a lot more things. But the point is simply this. Jesus is just simply saying this. You don't need to be about that. You don't need to tell everybody what you've done. Heaven knows. And sometimes people will say this. Have you ever had this happen? Somebody will say, I'd like to give this to you, and I don't want you announcing it to anybody because I don't want to lose my reward, bro. (laughs) Amen? And this is kind of what they're saying. And I don't think they would lose their reward if, if properly honored. There's a place for honoring people. But you get, you get the point. Jesus is saying this. Look, this doesn't need to be about um, a track record of all the things that you've done. You don't need to sound the trumpet. There's no doubt in the early church that people knew that some people were giving, For example, Barnabas sold a tract of land in Acts chapter 4, laid it at the apostles' feet. People knew that. Ananias and Sapphira came. They also donated some money, but they lied about it, and it ended very badly (laughs) because God knew they were lying. Authenticity, once again. Not so much that everything has to be done in secret. You know, some people have looked at this Uh, verse four, that your alms may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you and thought maybe I shouldn't, you know, when I give at the church, maybe I shouldn't have my name on my check. Maybe all of my giving should be anonymous and if all of my giving was anonymous, then I don't get a tax refund from the government and all God's people said, (laughs) now let me just say to you, I take full advantage of a tax refund. I think that's just fine. But for some people, they've decided that giving anonymously keeps them from sinning. And I would just say this, if you feel like you're in that category where maybe you have a good amount of resources and anonymous giving is the bulk of what you do because you want to be careful, I'm not going to argue with you. But I don't think that we should put ourselves under unnecessary burdens. I think when we give, and just so you know, when people give at the church, um, I don't even know what you guys give, and I don't wanna know. That's not my role here. So when people faithfully give, they give to the Lord, and it's for his glory. Now, obviously, a few people know what you give. That's how we have records and stuff like that, but you get the point. Your alms that you're giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret, isn't this amazing? He'll repay you. Turn over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. You guys remember the woman who gave the two small coins, the widow? And Jesus saw what she did. And he said, she outgave out everybody that day. Well, your father sees what's going on and he knows now, the, beautif- the beauty of God's om- omniscience and omnipresence is that he's everywhere present. This is taught in Psalm 139. I, I had the privilege of doing an interview with Scott Furrow from KKLA. He hosts the live from LA uh, broadcast. And they're-, they're doing a Steps to Easter um, series. And I got to do something live with Scott that'll be on KKLA's website here soon. And we're talking about Psalm 139, specifically these last two verses Look at David's prayer. He says, Search me, Psalm 139, 23, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way, or we might say in the kingdom way. Now, David's prayer there is a, some people have called it a dangerous prayer. It's inviting God to search and take out all the junk out of my heart and my life, but it's based upon the opening verses. Look at verse one, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. This is all positive because you can see David summing up the first section says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Whatever I do, I do before the omnipresent, omniscient God.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
2: Hi, I'm Rob Newton, Program Director for the Walk in Truth program. This year has given Walk in Truth many reasons to be thankful. Walk in Truth has reached more listeners than ever before with seven radio stations throughout the country, including right here in Southern California. In addition, Pastor Michael's teachings are listened to by thousands of people around the world thanks to the podcast. This year has brought new blessings as well. Listeners can listen to Walk in Truth's daily episodes, watch videos, and read the Bible through the new Walk in Truth app. The app also allows for new possibilities we hope to launch next year. Stay tuned for that. I am also very happy to announce that thanks to recent giving by some members of Living Truth and Walk in Truth listeners, we now have the funds to broadcast in San Diego on KPR's 106. 0.1 FM and AM 1210. The Lord is moving, making his gospel known, and like many other living truth ministries, he's using the Walk in Truth program to do it. We are thankful for your partnership and for your prayers. We can't wait to see what the Lord does with the Walk in Truth program in 2024.
0: We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
1: Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. This is all positive because you can see David summing up the first section says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Whatever I do, I do before the omnipresent, omniscient God, who knows when I get up. He knows a thought before I think it, a word before it's formed on my tongue, a prayer before I pray it. And he rewards me for things done correctly. And the beauty is I can invite him in back to Matthew chapter six, because he knows. My father knows me. He's it's relational. It's the beauty of what it means to be a believer. And so he says, look, just do what you do for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the king, and the Lord will bless it. That's the first topic, charitable giving. Second topic, prayer, verses five and following. And when you pray, Jesus says, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, their goal is to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. I want you to Jesus, see that Jesus doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. It's assumed that you will be a person of prayer. And there's an expectation that we would all pray. They, the hypocrite, love to pray, but they love to do it for a show. They love to do it to impress people. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your inner room. When you've shut your door, pray to your father who's in secret. Your father, Matthew 6, 6, who sees in secret, will repay you. The inner room phrase there, some have taken as a prayer closet, Many believe it was a first century storage room where maybe food and pots and pans might be. All it means is simply a place of privacy. Jesus often went away to pray by himself, but Jesus also prayed public prayers. In the book of Acts, there's corporate prayer going on. This doesn't mean that all prayer has to be just behind a closed door, just you and you alone. Jesus talks about two or three being gathered in his name and so forth. This is more about a principle of not putting on a show when you pray, but seeking your father. You know, if you're praying just to pray, if you have routine prayers that you pray, but they're not in alignment with heaven's heart, you might want to go back and revisit some routine prayers. Amen? Some of us have, it's come down to this. We only pray before meals. And some of you have to get a lot in before the meal because that's the only time you pray. So let's pray. The food's piping hot. In an Italian home, everything's been timed perfectly. There's been a lot of stress, a lot of tension. And onto the table it goes. The smoke's coming up. Oh, it smells so wonderful. And then someone decides to get all their prayer list in before the meal can be partaken of. And oh, Lord, save the people over here and bless them over there. And oh, something else, Lord. And on and on. And people in the prayer circle are not so spiritual anymore. Because <laughs> the one thing they're thinking is the food's getting cold. Can't you pray before we pray, before a meal? Bless the food and let's eat. And all God's people said, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) how do we pray properly? Well, we pray relationally. Imagine that you have a spouse And you talk to them 15 minutes a day. And each conversation you have is this. You sit, you face chairs, and you say, I'd like you to do this for me today, this for me today, this for me today, this for me today, and this for me today. And you have your list. And some of you are saying, that is my life! That's called a honeydew list! I told the first service crowd, I didn't even prepare this. But this may be some of your lives. You meet with your spouse, and it's a list. I'd like you to do this, 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 and this. And maybe they return the favor, and that's all. If that's all your relationship's about, there's something wrong. Some people say, why do we pray if God knows everything, and he's sovereign? You pray to commune with him, not to just bring a list to him. Imagine if your relationship was like that. And some of you are saying, maybe it's become that. You heard the comedian who says he first got married to his spouse and he had his golf clubs and he was walking out the door and his wife doesn't make statements. She asks questions. Where do you think you're going? It's Saturday. And he goes, well, Sherlock, I don't know if you can figure this out, but (laughs) (laughs) I got my golf clubs means I'm going to the golf course. Oh, you are. He said, well, in retrospect, that didn't go very well. He said, now that we've been married for decades, when I have the golf clubs, it's a Saturday morning and I'm walking out and she says, where do you think you're going? I respond, I'm going to put these in the trunk of the car and mow the lawn. (laughs) In Jesus' name. Your father doesn't want your lists. He wants your heart. Now, he wants you to bring petitions to him. James says you have not because you ask not. But he says you ask and don't receive, James 4, 2, and 3, because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your own pleasures. That's not a relationship. That's my candy machine in the sky and I pull the lever when I need something. And that's not what our father wants. Imagine A relationship where, verse seven, all you do is repeat phrases over and over again to your beloved partner. (laughs) That would be fairly empty, wouldn't it? Verse seven, when you're praying, Jesus gives us a little bit more. Don't use meaningless. The New King James has vain repetition. The word in the Greek is actually babbling, as the Gentiles. That's the ethnicos. That's the pagans. Don't keep on babbling like pagans, NIV, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Christian prayers are measured by weight, not by length. Meaningless repetition is empty phrases. Of course, the opposite of meaningless repetition is meaningful repetition. And the Bible does make a case for prayers to be repeated for example in the garden of gethsemane jesus prayed 3 times the same prayer father if it's possible let this cup pass from me in second corinthians 12 paul prayed about the thorn in his flesh 3 times take it away take it away take it away my grace is sufficient for you you guys know the passage in the psalms there's repetition of, of his love being everlasting repetition in and of itself can be the key to learning and it's not necessarily bad unless it becomes meaningless.
0: You've been listening to How to Seek First, His Kingdom and His Righteousness, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 1 through 8. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast iHeartRadio, Radio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Well, you can see that
1: Jesus's main concern is not outward performance of ritual for men, for men to be impressed with you. Rather, it's about the inward. And when it starts with the inward, it's going to come out in the way that you live. And you'll shine, as Jesus does say, you'll be like a city on a hill. You, you'll be giving light, but it's because you're seeking first the kingdom of God and that's coming out in your life. So I want to talk to you. You're, here you are at the office and the kingdom of God is shining through you. You're not making, you know, ostentatious displays uh, to impress people, making sure that when your food comes, you bow your head and, and you peek to see if other people are looking or you've got a huge family Bible on your desk or whatever it may be. If you're doing it just to impress people, then you'll have your reward, Jesus says. But if you're doing it to please God, then that is going to spill over into the horizontal relationships. And of course, you know, I mentioned the office, but first and foremost, right in, in our families, our witness in the community, our witness at work. So, this is what Jesus says and it's very practical isn't it because it's all about when you seek first the kingdom the king everything else will follow it's so simple yet it can be challenging at times and maybe you you know you feel a little bit better because you you heard it's not about long prayers it's not about you know uh the outward it's about the inward and and this is where God wants you to love him uh to draw close to him of course, that will follow in some things that you do on the outward, but you just want to make sure that it's first and foremost about seeking Him. Pastor Michael Lance, you are listening to Walk in Truth as we walk through the incredible gospel of Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, something to celebrate. We've been praying and we've been letting you know about different open doors and opportunities, and this is our first day of broadcasting on K-Praise in San Diego. Hey, K-Praise, this is Pastor Michael Hey, we're so happy to be on board, 5 a.m. Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings, right here on K Praise. And uh we were on a few years back. Maybe some of you remember us. We're back. We're excited. And so keep us in prayer. Hey, if you want to know more about the ministry, go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com as we'll walk through the Word of God together, seeking His glory. So glad to be on and for all of our listening family, all of our partners, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a blessed week. We'll see you right here tomorrow.
0: And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 1 through 8, called How to Seek First His Kingdom and His Righteousness. I'm Mike Masaro, On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walking Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.